On this episode of Fit for Purpose, we get a very literal look at the talent pipeline as I speak with Louise Beardmore, the Customer Services and People Director of United Utilities, the UK's largest listed water company up in the Northwest. Lou talks about how United Utilities takes into account the challenges in their region and then genuinely asks itself what it can do to help close some of those gaps. We also talk about how things have changed since coronavirus and, of course, Lou's advice to her younger self. Louise Beardmore, you didn't start off in HR. Uh, It's been a a journey for you, hasn't it, into the role that you're in now. Tell us a little bit about your path to the role that you've got and is making such a difference at United Utilities. It's been a a really quite varied career that I've been fortunate to have um, within United Utilities. But the role that I hold here allows me to look after the interests of all of our customers and the communities that we serve because I look after customer services and also look after our people agenda. Um, And people often say that's a really strange combination of things to have together, customer services and human resources. And my retort to that is, well, this is all about people. And one's about service to customers and one's about uh, service to employees. But actually, it's brilliant employees that deliver fantastic service for our customers. So they, they go together really, really well. And to some degree, I have a, have a role here um, that allows me to play to my strengths, which is all about delivering great services for people. Um, but more importantly, make sure that our people strategy is connected to the customers that, and the communities that we're privileged to serve here in the Northwest, which is over 7 million customers um from sort of carlisle down to crew and it's fantastic to have a job in a in a company like united utilities in the northwest uh, most importantly where i was born where i was educated and where i now live so happy people inside <laughs> equals happy people outside i guess absolutely and you know and i'm a great believer in in the power of employee engagement i often talk about um engagement as being that sense of how people think and feel and act about that organisation that they work for. And that sense that we spend a huge amount of time at work um, and actually, you know, work uh, needs to be something where we all feel that we can contribute, where we can add value, but somewhere where we want to be. And actually creating those conditions in itself allows people to give of their best. And more importantly, you know, enables that uh, correlation in terms of business performance it doesn't matter how you triangulate the data, whether that's productivity, customer service data, um, health and safety metrics. There is absolute correlation between fantastic levels of engagement and corresponding improvements in terms of business performance. I often say when people say to me, well, actually, you know, how do you measure engagement or what's the target? For me, engagement is actually about what's the trend you're on as an organisation. How are you listening? How are you responding? But, but more importantly, how are you getting the best out of everybody that works in your organisation to deliver the outcomes that, that you need for your business? And I guess over um, recent months in particular, the whole business has had to shift to try and cope with COVID. What are some of the things that United Utilities has done in a way to be part of this national effort on dealing with this health crisis? 
It's huge, isn't it? And I don't think any of us, when we uh, when we raised a glass um, on uh, on the thirty first of December uh, and and toasted the new year coming in, could ever have thought that uh, well, we'd have never heard of of, of COVID nineteen. Uh, let alone having those daily conversations about uh, social distancing um, and uh, and the impacts of quarantine and all of those types of things that we're now dealing with. I think first and foremost is we provide an essential service and uh, at United Utilities and in fairness in all water companies right across the UK. Um, we're here to deliver a service 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, you know, it doesn't matter about the, the environment and the situation we're working in, providing that critical service is, is so, so important. And, you know, so we have that classification of, of key workers um, and everything that that entails. So the first thing has been around making sure our own employees are safe. And that's been everything from getting our call centres to work from home, deploying very quickly new technology, uh, new systems to make sure that people can receive calls at home and more importantly do so safely in terms of, of, of data and everything else. And right through to new operating is out there on some of our operational sites because they can't be operated remotely uh, and rely on our, on our workforce who do such a fantastic job right through to the works that we're doing out there in our highway. Uh, you know, if there's a burst or if there's a problem with a sewer, that has to be dealt with there and then. So making sure that we're working safely, first and foremost, um, and our employees are protected has been what's been most important. And then it's been about making sure that the service that we deliver to customers is exactly as they would expect it to be. And more importantly, that there's been um, no reduction in the quality of their service. And I'm delighted because... The last quarter, um, we were the number one uh, provider of customer services uh, across the UK uh, from a water company perspective in terms of those customers who have contacted us. And, um, you know, the, the level of service that we've continued to deliver has been immense. Um, and that's been everything from making sure we respond quickly and customers have to contact us right through providing affordability support. Because one of the things that um, is important about the Northwest and the area in which we serve is actually about the demographics of the customers that live in the fantastic uh, region of the Northwest. And we've got some of the highest levels of deprivation in the UK. So 48 of the 100 most deprived local authorities are actually in the Northwest. So even before COVID, uh, many, many customers were struggling with affordability. Um, and the challenges of finding, of finding good quality, rich employment and opportunities. And therefore, making sure that we're supporting customers with affordability solutions, making sure that we're helping them if they get into debt, into arrears, getting their bills as low as we possibly can. And also out there working in our communities, helping and supporting uh, our money advisors who are trying to do a fantastic job in the Northwest to help customers not just with their water bills, but with all of the financial challenges uh, that they're faced with, is a critical role that we've got to play. And Louise, tell us a little bit about, in a sense, how affordability ended up being such a key part. I mean, obviously for every utility company, affordability is an important part of how bills are looked at. But obviously for, for United Utilities, especially in the region you are in with the levels of deprivation, it really, really matters but what's the journey been from almost taking that self-evident fact to then putting it really so much at the heart of the business purpose that United Utilities has been? And, and has it been 
did you have to win people over what was the the process if you like from getting to where you started almost to where you are today I think the first thing is about really understanding um, your customers that you serve. And, and I don't say that in a way that, that's trite in any way. Um, but it's about if you're going to deliver a fantastic service to your customers, you really need to understand uh, the demographics of where they live, the challenges that they face, so that you can tailor and target your service accordingly. So we started off with a huge amount of work, really understanding the different segments of customers that we have understanding some of the challenges that they face. So I won't go back to what I said previously about 48 of the local authorities being the most deprived in the region. But actually, uh, there are some other really, really frightening statistics. So um, over 50% of our input, uh, of our customers don't have £300 worth of savings to pay for an unexpected bill. Mm-hmm. If we also look at uh, the customer base here in the Northwest, 30% of the of people who live in the Northwest earn less than £21,000 a year and aren't on any form of benefit. So really understanding uh, the financial challenges that customers have has made us really stand back and understand that we need to offer a targeted and tailored service to our customers. And, and to do that, you've actually had to understand the lives, you know, that are behind those affordability challenges in the first place. Absolutely. And we started off by talking to customers who fell into some of those groups to really understand what it was like. And more importantly, how were people prioritizing the day to day decisions that they needed to make about what bills they paid over, over what other, what they went without to make sure that they could, uh, they could pay for their bills and some of their household, um, household costs. And from that came the fact that um, we've designed a whole series of different interventions. That's everything from you can now have a direct debit, for example, where we give you money off. You can have that direct debit set up weekly, fortnightly, according to the way that uh, that you're actually paid. If you find yourself, uh, if you're on benefits and you're struggling and we go through an affordability check with you, we can reduce your bill to get you onto an affordable amount that you can pay. A scheme where if you found yourself in debt, if you pay a pound and I pay a pound, we guarantee to get you debt free so that we can get your bill cleared. We pay into a trust fund, that's an independent charitable trust, where customers can apply to if they've built up debts and arrears and are also struggling with with other costs. And that means that over the next five years, United Utilities is going to give £71 million worth of support to help customers who are struggling financially. People may say, well, 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 what's in it for you? We're giving that money that's straight from profit. And that's because we really, really recognise that we're in a privileged position providing an essential service in the Northwest. It's the heart of our, uh, some of our communities where customers are genuinely struggling. And I think the other thing that, that we've really done is connected with our communities. So um, we run a, an annual event which falls in January. Uh, and it's called Blue Monday. It's, it's sadly the day in Monday where the credit card bill lands on people's doormats and many people end up taking their own lives as a result of debt. Uh, and we bring the Northwest community together of debt advisors, um, citizens advice bureau, housing associations to say, what as a community can we do here in the Northwest that will make a difference? And from that um, came something that they said, which is so, so simple, but is making a huge difference, which is, um, I'm a volunteer. 
So I go in to Citizens Advice and I volunteer to help people who are struggling with affordability. But there isn't anywhere I can go to understand all of the fantastic schemes that are available in the Northwest, whether that be where the latest food bank is or where the latest scheme is that utility companies, just like United Utilities, will have to help customers reduce their bills or help with debt. And I could help so many more people if there was somewhere I could go and all of those resources were together. So working with um, some of the money advice sector, we designed something called the Hardship Hub, which they name themselves, which now has nearly 500 of the debt uh, uh, and advice sector in the Northwest um, using uh, that portal. And you can split it just on a specific region like Greater Manchester or Merseyside, or you can look at it as Northwest as a whole. And what that allows you to see is every day what initiatives and schemes are available to help customers. And that's something that the uh, that United Utilities has funded, because one of the things that we recognise is that the quality of people's lives in the Northwest is not just uh, impacted by the fact that they can or they can't pay their water bill, they'll be struggling with other costs as well. And I think what's really interesting about what you're doing, uh, and I remember you know, last year when we first met and talked about this um, through the Social Mobility Pledge work, one of the reasons it was great to have United Utilities doing all the work on this that, that we can now share with other, other businesses is that you weren't just almost looking at how to help people in the short term, you were also looking at how to help them in the longer term by looking at employability, upskilling, reskilling. Tell us a little bit about that, because from my perspective, that's when you really start to have a much wider package to help local communities. And, and I think the work we've, we're doing with you on, on the, your Opportunity Action Plan, from my perspective, is, is a great chance for for us to, to not only look at how you've managed to do that successfully, but also how you've managed to do it at scale for so many people. And I think this is back to some of the real um, advantages that having a, a remit that looks after both customer services and people mm-hmm. provides. And one of the things that we've been able to do is to take all of that learning that we've understood about our customers and really think about that in the context of our employees and more importantly, about skills out there in the Northwest. So we've been doing a huge amount out there right across the region in terms of increasing people's skills, in terms of finding great opportunities and great jobs. And I think a couple of things that I'm really mindful about the Northwest, I care passionately about the Northwest and its sense of a region. Um, And actually, we can all get swayed when we look at employment statistics. But actually what employment statistics don't do is they don't explain or, or really explore the quality of jobs that are available. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of jobs here in the Northwest that are zero hours contracts, part time. And actually, we also have lots of people out there in our communities that don't aspire uh, to, to, to joining great organisations or having fantastic careers. So a lot of the work that we've been doing has been in, out in some of our target schools in, a, in our uh, more deprived areas, actually working with those schools, helping people see that there are routes and opportunities into great jobs uh, and a real focus on STEM-based jobs, science, technology, engineering and maths jobs with organisations such as ourselves. Um, doing back to, to uh, sort of a, an accelerated work programme, so for those young people that have found themselves unable to secure employment and really struggling, doing 
uh, schemes and, and, and initiatives with the local uh, job centres in terms of accelerating people in to a 12-week programme where we work with them, they develop them, we give them lots of skills and opportunities and get them into meaningful employment with a view to converting that into real jobs and utilising our supply chain in terms of generating some of those opportunities. Because one of the yes. things that's really important to us is that um, our employee base is representative of the customers that we serve. And therefore, we think it's really, really important, particularly in areas where there is high employment and, and, and big issues with social mobility. United Utilities is pivotal in getting people to see the opportunities. And it's not just about seeing the opportunities, it's helping them to, to get on to that ladder and, uh, and ensuring that they convert into actual jobs. And looking ahead, Louise, I mean, obviously, all the issues that, that we really care about around the opportunity gap and social mobility get massively challenged in a, in a COVID world and the gaps just get bigger. From a United Utilities perspective, where do you go with some of the programmes that you've had in place when actually the scale of challenge that you're now facing as a region is probably a lot tougher in a way than it was this time last year? I'm not even saying I think we have the answers. I am really quite worried. Um, I'm really worried about the Northwest as a whole, um, you know, and I, I look at the young people, um, you know, my daughter being one of them, she, she's 17, who are, who are at a point where they're making some really critical um, uh, life decisions around what's next in their path. Um, and, and I think one of the big challenges that we're going to have is at what point we're going to see of secure and meaningful employment actually return. I'm mindful that many organisations, because of the challenges financially, have stopped things like um, uh, graduate programmes and apprenticeship programmes, work placement programmes. What we're actively trying to do is quite the opposite, um, is that uh, we're playing a really active role here in the Northwest in terms of making sure that those programmes continue. We're also doing something that's quite innovative in terms of um, showing people uh, virtually through digital classrooms what having jobs here at United Utilities are as a way of targeting specific schools and getting into those schools. We've been doing lots of online career forums and career chats to make sure that notion of a career stays alive while we're in this sort of transiency of COVID. But I think this means that we need to redouble our efforts um, because I think the COVID challenge is here and it's here to stay. And actually, that means that when we are going out and recruiting, we've got to work doubly hard to make sure that we're reaching those people that would normally see United Utilities as, uh, as something that they thought wasn't uh, obtainable in terms of securing a future career. And of course, for you as a business, as the, the FTSE 100 company, the only one actually that's based up in the Northwest, you've got this wider leadership role, I suppose, not just within the sector and encouraging your supply chain to almost share that ethos of working with wider communities, but also your ability to really shape the agenda, I guess, for a broader business environment and, and business community in the Northwest. I think that's really important. And I think when we first met, one of the things that um, we talked about was the role that United Utilities had had in leading the affordability agenda in the Northwest yeah. and how it brought, all, brought together all of the various different interested parties um, as a way of enabling that conversation and getting others to come on board. 
And I think that's very much the role that we see uh, ourselves trying to play is that social mobility for all of the reasons that we all care about is so, so important. And now more than ever, actually, you know, United Utilities as one of the biggest organisations here in the Northwest needs to play that leading role in terms of having some of these difficult conversations. And it's really easy to, to make decisions which are potentially short-sighted about stopping training, stopping development, stopping these types of schemes. Um, but actually, that's very short-term. And actually, I don't want to be in a situation where a whole generation gets forgotten um, because of the short-term decisions that were made um, by, by, by many, or what will be for the right reasons, I'm sure, but without truly understanding the consequence. And this sense of there is alternative ways of doing things. And how do we come together and pull our skills? So I have a fantastic training centre here in the Northwest um, that's delivering uh, apprenticeships. Actually, how can that be made of use to others, which may be a way that they could uh, reduce their reduce their costs and overhead, but still enable them to offer fantastic programmes. So how do we come together as leaders here in the Northwest to make sure that we're all doing the right things, to respond to COVID, but also to make sure that we've got future capability, because now more than ever, we're going to need young, innovative, passionate, capable people, and we're going to need to unlock that talent um, for, for the new world that we're entering into. And in a sense, one of the things it's easy to miss is that perhaps the most important supply chain for any business is talent. And if you turn off the tap on that pipeline, then it might seem like a, a sort of short term fix today, but you end up paying the longer term price in the future. And, and that's a region, if you like, that really needs the skills. So being able to continue to keep investing in them and understanding how important that is, I think really matters. And I, I think it's great if a company like United Utilities can really um, shout loudly on that and, and encourage other, other businesses just to think more carefully as they're taking what can be crucial short-term decisions, admittedly, but about whether there are longer-term consequences of them that they need to consider at the same time. And I think as well as the sort of um, long-term nature, I think it's also celebrating some of the things that make the Northwest the great place that it is. I mean, I think one of the things that's been a real advantage is that, you know, we saw big investment as the BBC moved its news headquarters up to the Northwest. We've got some amazing, amazing digital and technology skills here in the Northwest. Actually, if we think about uh, the skills that are coming for the, for the forefront right now, and the fact that, um, you know, we've all realised we don't need to be a slave to the train in the office, anymore and that the world can function quite well from people working from home actually what does that enable us to do in terms of of talent and reaching more people um, and and not just social mobility but maybe even disability as well uh, in terms of how people can make a, a significant and active contribution to the workplace in perhaps a, a less traditional format than we've than we've thought in the past it makes it that little bit more flexible again potentially a lot more flexible and although that can be a challenge in some respects actually it opens up some new opportunities doesn't it to just reach into an even wider talent pool going forward than you've been able to in the past it's a huge opportunity it's a huge opportunity um, um, for multiple dimensions 
um, whether that be you know uh, working parents, whether that be uh, disabilities, whatever it may be. I think what COVID has taught us is that the way that we've all conditioned ourselves of the way that work gets done, um, actually there is an alternative. I think we're also going to find future generations questioning a lot more values of organisations and values of society and this sense of work-life balance um, and the fact that work can look different for different people. So I think you know there are huge opportunities that COVID bring uh, and as much as, as it's generated challenges that none of us ever, ever even envisaged, let alone thought of. Um, it's also generated some significant opportunities that if we can harness, um, and I think the way to harness that is by region, because there will be different region to region, and actually I, I think it can also uh, uh, you know, act as an accelerant too. I think what's really interesting listening to you talk is it, it almost clarifies this sense of our, for many people, their work and home lives have effectively been merged in a way that's not happened before. And, and in the past, in a way, we, we were part of two communities. We, we got in and went into our work community and then we left and came back to our home community. And they've been blended together, really, in many, for many people um, over the last few months. But actually, in doing so, it's almost blended people's lives more fully. So in other words what you almost care about and value outside of work, if I can call work work, you increasingly take into work because there's not such this stark dividing line between these different aspects of your life. So for companies being able to mirror those values that people have in their wider life, you know, with their family, how they are with their friends actually ends up being imported more than ever before into what they expect from work because they're kind of all just one person's life at the end of the day and never more so probably than in a post-COVID world. I, I, you know, I, and I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think one of the things about COVID is that those things, they've just blurred, haven't they, together. There is no way of, of, of distancing the two. I think the other thing is it, is it brings us a challenge as, as leaders is to think about how people will be recruited, motivated, and rewarded in the future. Um, it also, I think, raises a lot of questions about mental health because actually remote working isn't for everybody. Um, and, and that sense of, I think, the other challenge for people is it's quite hard to leave work at home. Actually, if work sits at your kitchen mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. um, so actually, I think it's going to... And actually, you know, how do you motivate and inspire remote teams so, you know, it, it's also going to require a different skill set of leaders to think about um, it's the, the people strategy for the future and also what how it leverages um, what it has currently, but also how does it design a new future? Um, because I think how we transition um, both back into the office and, you know, suddenly I think out again, because, you know, until we've been into a situation where... Um, we either um, find a, a cure or a vaccine, um, then then actually, you know, I think we're going to have these continuous challenges. I think the other thing that it's it's generated is that sense of um, fragility in terms of the things that we all took for granted um, and actually how fragile they now are. 
So I think it's it's also causing many people to look at the values of the organisations they work for and understand, you know, uh, do they align with mine? Do I feel that I was supported? Do I feel like I was looked after um, uh, through what is, you know, immense, uh, immense difficult times that, that nobody ever predicted? So I think it raises a huge amount of questions for, for employees, for leaders and for, for business as a, as a future. So almost a sense of having to redesign things, you know, on employee voice, you know, seeing, feeling and hearing is just happening in a quite different way, isn't it, in the future than, than how it happened in the past with some opportunities, but also, I suppose, a need for, for business leaders to really understand what that means for what can be a really diverse workforce, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the other thing it, this really magnifies, and we, and we always talk about this, don't we, in terms of the context of, 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 of great leaders, is it all comes down to communication. And now more than ever, the need to communicate is greater, the need to adapt is greater. Because I think one thing, uh, and, and as you said, that I've really noticed is that people's inability, uh, and quite naturally so, to, to actually be able to adapt what's happening at home to, to to my job so that might be because actually I've got children who aren't in school or I've got a relative who is poorly or whatever or I've got a partner who is shielding or whatever it may be and therefore our role as leaders in terms of being able to respond dynamically uh, to the different situations that we find ourselves in I think has placed a whole level of a challenge on leaders that that they've never predicted and in a time when they haven't got all the answers to. So um, it is going to be a challenge, but I, I think maybe a good one. And I think great leaders will almost certainly rise to it. I think the other aspect I wanted to ask you about is obviously you're a, a top female leader of a FTSE 100 company. From your perspective, I mean, just talk about maybe some of the barriers, uh, how that journey's been for you from a, a female perspective where you feel it impacts the organisation, there was some great research out recently that showed that companies with a higher proportion of women on their board literally delivered better financial returns. Do you think it's maybe because um, th- their sort of culture and their attitude towards how they look at leadership and management is slightly different maybe it's more in line with some of the points that you've been making in this podcast I should say I hate making sweeping generalizations trying to tease out some of these bigger points because they do matter don't they they do they matter hugely I think you know I never take for granted the fact that um, I'm fortunate enough to to do a job I love in a in a FTSE 100 organization uh, in in the heart of the country where I was born, educated, and and where I live, but you know I, I think there are some barriers, and, and and not all of them are, are necessarily to do with gender. I always talk when I introduce myself. I always say, you know, my name's Louise Bidmore, and I have two jobs. My first job is I'm a mum. I'm a working mum, Grace, um, who's a who's a wonderful seventeen year old. And my second job is I'm customer services and HR director at United Utilities with responsibility for, uh, you know, and, and the privilege of serving sort of 7 million customers and thousands and thousands of employees. I think sometimes that we're not, um, we're not open enough about the roles that we have. 
And I talk quite openly and honestly about the challenges and, and sometimes the guilt of, you know, making it to, to, to parents' evening or all of those types of things where I think as working parents uh, that we can sometimes feel uh, in terms of uh, in terms of trying, trying to balance the two. And that along the way, I've taken decisions that um, has, has had an impact on my family where, you know, I went out to work internationally uh, for a significant period of time because I wanted to get that experience. Um, and my husband and my daughter were at home and I used to sort of move backwards and forwards from India every 10 days. And that put a real strain and it was for a sort of 18 month period. Um, uh, but I've got a, a fantastic husband who equally has a, an important job, but fantastic grandparents that, that enabled that, that, that to work. And so sometimes I think it's about being open and honest about actually, while I've got this fantastic job, I also have these challenges that many other working parents have. I think the other thing is, it's about celebrating the differences and some of the challenges. If I look at, at, at the role that I now have, um, you know, I've had to work exceptionally hard. I, I went to university, I got a first class honours degree, I progressed uh, through my career, um, but I'm actually statemented as dyslexic. Um, and that means that um, the way I learn, uh, the way I work is very, very different. And it's something that's unique to me. Um, but it also means that I approach and look at things in a very, very different way. Um, and I look at my dyslexia not as something that hinders me, um, but is something that's special about me. Um, that means that I see things differently. And I talk a lot in schools young people who are dyslexic about don't let your dyslexia hold you back because actually nobody who I've ever met in my working career and I've been fortunate to meet many many people and work with them ever said to me oh you're Louise Beardmore and you're dyslexic far far from it um, and I think the only other third thing I'd say is about being a female in business is you know I'm I've never felt that my gender has has held me back in any way well, what I always say when I talk about gender and, um, you know, women working in business and being sat uh, around the top table is that, you know, I think it's about understanding intent. So um, I work with some fantastic uh, uh, guys uh, and, um, and actually, you know, I've never felt for one minute that my gender has, uh, has meant that I'm treated differently. But I also understand intent. And I was talking recently at a, a women in business event and, you know, I said, um, uh, my husband um, won't let me walk down uh, the street on the outside. He'll open a door for me uh, if, uh, if, you know, if I'm walking through it. But it actually is also mine and my daughter's biggest supporter. So it's about understanding intent. Um, you know, it's it's not taking that gentlemanly behaviour as anything other than what it is meant and seeing that in a way that's, that's threatening. So I think it's sometimes about women getting a balance. And I think it's also about women supporting other women. So I think some of the uh, obstacles I've faced in my career have actually been other women not championing other women. And that's where I think we all have a role to play, to be open and honest about the challenges that being a mum um, and, uh, and having a, a, been a big job and a career can be, is I think it's only by being more honest um, that we'll get people to, to recognise there are challenges 
um, and, and everybody experiences them. And recognising that people have very different lives, but you're not going to get the most out of them unless you understand what those lives are, what they mean. And then, as you say, what they can contribute differently, um, perhaps because of their background, because of you know, what we might call um, a challenge, say, on dyslexia, but actually fundamentally means that you bring just a very different mindset, which is actually helpful to a business and from my perspective, you know, diversity is absolutely crucial. You know, businesses go wrong when they get in, and indeed politics goes wrong when you get into groupthink and, and you don't get any fresh ideas and, and challenge isn't allowed. That's when, from my perspective, you start to head down um, a bad road. And it's the antithesis in a sense of, you know, what you set out in that happy manifesto speech, which is brilliant, which really just set out an ethos of human resources mattering because actually people matter. And the more you can unlock people's ability to thrive and use their judgment and be motivated, then actually the better outcomes you'll get, not just for them because they'll be happier coming into work, but for businesses as, as a whole, which I guess brings us full circle really to the very beginning of this. Louise, is your sense that 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 approach, I mean, it can fit in any kind of organisational business. It's not really exclusive at all to, say, a big company like United Utilities, is it? Absolutely not. And, and you know, when we were doing all the work um, uh, on employee engagement that was originally done by um, uh, David and Nita Clark way back when, and that sense of actually how do we improve the levels of engagement of a UK PLC? Because um, actually, you know, compared to other countries, it, it, it wasn't wasn't as great, you know, and, and, and that notion of you can go to work and, and actually this needs to be rewarding and fulfilling and, and to give you back. What we found was, it, it you know, is that um, it didn't matter which sector, which size of organisation, um, whether it be service, manufacturing, big, small, whatever, international, just domestic, you know, there were three or four things that really, really... Um, provided the distinction in terms of, of levels of engagement in the workforce. That first one was, you know, that sense of do I understand where I am and do I, you know, where do I fit in? So where are we going? The second one was actually the quality of line management. We've all heard of that age-old adage, haven't we, of, you know, actually I didn't leave the organisation, I left the line manager um, mm-hmm. because we don't know what it's like to work for somebody who, who actually doesn't motivate them. And at some point in our career, we'll have felt that. And likewise, we'll have felt the difference that we gave of ourselves and to the organisation when we felt when we worked for somebody who truly untapped our potential. And the third is what I always call the words and the music. So integrity. Do what you say you're going to do because people can really sniff out. Uh, and I don't want to make this political um, or anyway, uh, what's in shape or form. But if we look at what's happened recently in the world of COVID, you know, lockdown uh, all seemed to stop and unravel the minute somebody saw um, a, uh, a, a government employee choosing to, to, to go somewhere else and do something different because the words and the music just didn't match. And I think the fourth thing is, is what is that sense of employee voice? How much are you really listening to what's going on? And how much are you allowing everybody to come to work and give of their best and their true potential? Um, If you step into any of our customer service centres, we have something on the wall. Um, There's a couple of things that I think, well, three things that I think really stand out. 
And the first is you have a great personality, don't leave it at home. And I see lots of people who come to work and, and are different. And actually, from an integrity perspective, we want you to come and we want you to give your all. And all of those things that make you you, unique and fantastic, we want you to bring. Um, and, and secondly, a sense of, um, and it's something that interested me, to work this morning that was somebody who's talking about on, on radio four which is obviously now my age in terms of what i now listen to um, in <laughs> join the club <laughs> absolutely absolutely but um i'm sitting on the wall it, and it says smile a customer will hear it in your voice and somebody was talking this morning about how smiling is infectious um and so you know you go back to uh, the uh, speech we're talking about in terms of uh, uh, the happiness conference but this sense of um, and now more than ever in a world with it which is unpredictable, which is frightening, um, which, which is changing, not even just day to day, but hour to hour, actually guiding and leading uh, our people through as, as, as this chaos, because that's essentially what it is, um, but in a way that allows everybody to give up themselves. Um, is critical and it's the only way you know I've got more data than I care to mention about the correlation between levels of employee engagement and customer service levels of engagement and profitability levels of engagement and uh, and uh, uh, and safety whatever it may be um, and we know ourselves you know when you've worked for somebody who was awful um, and how it made you feel you, I used to have a I used to have a boss <laughs> He was based in the States, which I have to say, I always thought was a perfect working relationship, having 3,000 however many miles between us. But it was, he was a workaholic and he used to get into the office before I did. Um, you know, and I was in promptly by nine and sometimes I'd already have an email and, and it honestly absolutely got me down after a while because I just felt I could never work as hard as him. Um, and that wasn't, in a sense, what I thought mattered. What I thought mattered was working smart and yes. doing the right things, not just doing more for the sake of it. And I think leaders, it's recognising those things, isn't it? In terms of the things that you do, um, um, uh, you know, as a leader, that, that actually can have an impact on your people. And I think that's a, that's a great example, isn't it? In terms of, you know, we've all dreaded those those emails that you get on a, on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning, you think, oh, goodness. Um, and I think that's the problem with technology. As much as technology is fantastic and enabling, you're never away from it. Um, and, um, and therefore, you never leave it behind. And I think that's also then, over, you know, with addition of COVID on top, means that as leaders, um, you know, this constant sense of which, which person am I being today? Am I that leader that's that's completely connected and integrated to work and the people I lead? Or actually am I Louise, the mum uh, to Grace or, or wife to Simon or whatever that may be or, you know, the daughter or whatever the role it is I'm playing at that moment in time. Um, and I think that's the challenge that we're going to have um, as we go forward is, is understanding the interplay between all of those roles and how we as a leader potentially cast um, uh, that role modelling onto onto our own people and the very way that that we interact with them too. I think that's absolutely right. And in a, in the sense, what we've got are some fresh and big challenges. And what's been great about working with United Utilities through the Social Mobility Pledge and doing all this work on the Opportunity Action Plan is it's about solutions. It's about saying 
for all the level of challenges we've got, there are some solutions out there. No one's got all of them, but actually if we start to find and showcase and develop the ones that are out there, then you might have a chance of knitting together a much bigger picture that can make a significant difference. I mean, Louise, you've had, obviously, I mean, you're not, not even remotely finished with it, an amazing career to date. If you were looking back to little Louise, all those years ago, still up in the Northwest with lots of ambition and hope for the future. If you were giving your younger self some advice now that you think would help, what would it be? Oh, there's a question. Um, so I think for me, I think there's a couple of things. I think you've got to be true to yourself. So you've got to find yourself in a job or in a career where it is something that you care passionately about because I think that's where um, performance is, is best both for you as an individual and and for the organizations that you work for and I think with that comes values so it's around understanding your own values and how they align to an organization that you're working for and I think the third thing is is about hard work you know I, I was I was really lucky to come out with a first class honors degree um, I worked really hard. I probably didn't go to all of those university parties I could have done and done as much as I could have done um, because actually I wasn't somebody who was naturally gifted. I had to work really hard. And I think that's where my dyslexia was always there on my shoulder as a, as a, as a sense of, is this going to be something that holds me back? And I think it's about having the confidence to be the person that you are um, to identify and recognise that you may have things that hold you back or that make you different to other people, but there are also things that can be celebrated. And actually, if you get knocked down, get back up, uh, work harder and propel yourself forward. So for me, the biggest advice I'd probably give myself would be um, work hard, um, enjoy every minute, but most of all, most of all, don't take no as an answer for anything. Brilliant stuff. Um, well, look, um, Louise, thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's been absolutely brilliant. And good luck with the coming months as we hopefully try to, to get Britain moving again. And I know United Utilities will be right in the heart of that up in the northwest. So thank you. Thanks ever so much. Thanks, Justine. I've really enjoyed working with Lou and the United Utilities team. Not only have they got the passion for social mobility that I think came through really clearly in this episode, but because of the company's size and the fact they're in every house in every community of their region, they're so well placed to really make an impact in some of the most deprived places in the UK. Thanks for listening to episode nine of Fit for Purpose. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and share with your friends and colleagues. We've lots of great guests coming up over the next few weeks, so subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any future episodes of Fit for Purpose.